At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, some of our bottles can be remade in a whole new way, using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles using no new plastic, except the caps and labels. Learn more at madetoberemade.org. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. From CAFE and WNYC Studios, this is Stay Tuned. I'm Preet Bharara. Hi, everybody. Welcome to my first live show. Um, <laughs> Mom, you really need to stop doing that. I want <laughs> So this show, this show was, is sold out. It's sold out in like... It sold out in like 24, I told my kids it was three hours, but it was like 24 hours. We even sold out the crappy seats up in the back. Up there, yeah. And, and you special people also. Um, I wanna thank CAFE for basically being who they are and making this possible. Pineapple Street Media, our producers, and our other partner, WNYC, who have been amazing over the last 12 weeks. So I'll admit to you, before we start the show, that I know I'm a little bit nervous. There's a lot of pressure. Um, When I agreed to do this thing, the podcast, I did it because I understood that you you don't even have to look decent, (laughs) bathe. It's audio, right? So you're in, if you ever want to see a very sad place in America, Go to a podcast studio. It's windowless. There's no air conditioning. So it gets, it gets a little gamey because the, the air conditioning sound affects the, the quality and you don't get to hear the dulcet tones of the speakers. So I didn't, I didn't sign up for this thing. I like to do that thing. It's just you and like some mushrooms in a, in a tiny room. And I've never done this before, so I, don't, I hope the transitions work. It's a very nice setup. And the requisite oriental rug, thank you for that. (laughs) When Alec Baldwin comes, I don't know if they have that particular rug. It's probably more of a Santa Fe style, I'm guessing. Um, But I'm also, so on the podcast, is free. Most of you people paid money. So I feel feel in a special obligation, you know, a special obligation to be, I don't know, better than usual. I don't think I, I will. I'm also a little stressed out because my boss is here. My brother, my Italian brother Vinny, is sitting somewhere here. Look, it's nice, it's, like, it's nice in America. You get fired by the President of the United States and you have the safety net of your brother. 
to help you get a job. But I want to thank him for supporting me and supporting this experiment and this project. Uh, my other boss is here, uh, my wife Dahlia. <laughs> It's a lot of pressure to add to the uh, stress and feeling that I need to perform. Uh, I talk about them a lot uh, on the podcast and otherwise in life because they want me to. <laughs> My mom and dad are here. <laughs> so that's not as cute as you think it is because this is like my job. They're now here monitoring me at my job. I mean, if you're like doing your job, like data entry, you're an Uber driver, and, you're, and your dad decided to come drive with you and said things like, you forgot to signal. <laughs> it, might not be that, it might not be that pleasant. I, I can see him from here, and his arms are crossed. You talked about me too much. <laughs> so be because they're all here, um, if you would pretend to have a good time and, and laugh appropriately at certain moments and furrow your brow appropriately when something uh, deep is being said, that'll make dinner afterwards with my parents a lot more pleasant. I want to acknowledge um, someone else here. I think he's here. June Kim, who is the acting United States Attorney. Could you ra raise your hand? There you are. Okay. So remember, you know, I, I used to be the U.S. Attorney. And if you, if you follow the podcast, uh, or, I don't know, you read the news, you know that right before I was fired, I got this strange, I got a series of phone calls, but I got, uh, on March 9th, a strange phone call from the President of the United States, which I didn't return after some debate internally. And the person I have always relied upon to give me advice was the person who's my consigliere in the job, June Kim. He's one of the smartest people I know. And he was in another conference room when the call came in from the President's secretary, uh, at about 4.40 p.m. on that evening, and we had already become a little concerned about this weird cultivating of a relationship between a sitting president and the United States attorney who had jurisdiction over his businesses and over uh, his hotels and over associates of his, so it's kind of awkward. And so I summoned June to my office, and we, for about 45 minutes, debated the question, do you call the president back or not? You know, it's weird, right? The president calls you, you're the reason, he's the reason you have your job. And June was adamant, do not call the president back for, for various reasons. I said, well, you know, but he's going to be really pissed <laughs> if I don't call him back. He's like, I know, you can't call the guy back. So I didn't call him back. And then 20 hours later, I was asked to resign. <laughs> And then, and, then, and then I was fired. And then June became the United States Attorney. 
So, so I have had the chance to sort of ruminate on that. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure I can say that he gave me completely neutral advice. <laughs> I'm, that's just jokes. Like, I think one of the... I'm very proud of the fact that I didn't call the president back. Um, Jude and I go way back, so I'm, I'm glad that, that June, June has had a very busy day. I don't know, but I, you know, I look from afar. We had a terrible incident at the Port Authority today, and a person decided that he wanted to kill Americans, and it was reminiscent of the time when I was still the U.S. Attorney back in May of 2010, and a, a guy by the name of Faisal Shahzad tried to blow up a car in Times Square, and he, like the person today, was not so good at making a bomb. So we should be happy about that, but also concerned that there are still people who want to do those things to us, but also, to me, pleased that I think we have the best Joint Terrorism Task Force in the country, which... I think we have the best U.S. Attorney's Office in the country. And as, part of, and as part of the JTTF, I think the best police department in the country who keep us safe every day. And I, and I think we should, be, we should be happy that we have that in what I think is the safest large city in America. So I, as I often say, I'm very nostalgic when I think about my old office. Uh, June, thanks for making it here tonight. And Godspeed to you and the JTTF and the NYPD and everyone else who keeps us safe. Hopefully... We won't see more of these in the future, but I fear that we will. But if we are going to have that happen, I'm glad that we have the best law enforcement people in the world working here in the city. We're going to maintain some of the um, format. And so what I do uh, in the podcast is I answer people's questions. And so as people were filing in, they had the opportunity. These are real live questions with terrible handwriting uh, and some in small print. So I'm going to go through some questions, and then we'll bring out our guest. First question. Not that you expected to be here tonight, but do you find this new life as a podcaster more fulfilling than being a prosecutor? No. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> my brother is younger than I am, and he's my boss. When you're an Indian family, that's incredibly disgraceful. <laughs> but it's fine. I have kids to put through college. Thank you for your question. Um, next one is a little bit better handwriting. Can you recommend someone whose opinion you disagree with but whom you respect that you recommend people listen to. Well, that's... Um, so there are people that I disagree with on a lot of things, a lot of Republicans, for example, but I think they're really, really important to listen to. And so I follow in my, in my Twitter feed lots of folks I disagree with, lots of publications. I think it's important to listen to the kinds of things that some of the guests on my show have talked about. Ben Wittes is a Republican. Uh, Jeff Flake is a Republican senator. 
Uh, ben Sass is a Republican senator. There are people with whom I disagree on matters of particular policy, tax policy, healthcare policy, for example. But I think it's important to understand what other people think, not just people I, I agree with on the, some of the Trump stuff. If we're only talking to each other in an echo chamber, I'd hope it's the case that people are trying to not just give arguments to each other who agree with you, but also figure out how to break out of the bubble and out of that echo chamber and persuade other folks to think the way you think. And that's never going to happen. You're never going to be able to persuade other people of anything unless you take the time and have the tolerance and the open-mindedness to listen to what people you disagree with have to say. And there's a lot of folks who say things you might not like on particular policy issues, but you need to understand what those arguments are. I mean, when I was a lawyer, being a lawyer is all about argument. And you're not going to convince a jury of your point of view of the guilt of the defendant, for example, if you're not listening and paying attention to what the defense lawyer's argument is and meet those arguments and be sophisticated and adult uh, and, and open-minded to understanding that maybe someone else, even if you don't ultimately agree with them, has good points to make about your argument, then you hone them and you refine them. A, a few weeks ago, in the end, at the end of the show, I talked about a professor I had who's one of the most preeminent political philosophers of the last 200 years, John Rawls. And what I said about him, he took the time to read all of the criticisms of himself, of his work, and try to respond to them and refine his thinking. So um, I recommend uh, following and reading and listening to all sorts of people who disagree with you, so long as they're, I think, respectful in how they talk about things. That's my answer to that question. Next question. Finally, someone put a name to a question. This is from Joe. <laughs> uh, as you return to civilian life, <laughs> how do you deal with world leaders floating your name in the news, sometimes in not so positive a light? This is Joe from Highland Park. Narrows it a little bit. Um, you're probably referring to, so I've been banned from Russia by Putin although he doesn't talk about me. Um, I assume you're talking about President Erdogan of Turkey, who, on, among other things, has asked for my firing when Joe Biden was still the Vice President of the United States. On the one hand, it's like kind of crazy that the President of a country is accusing you of things that are absurd, ludicrous. I mean, he's, he's accused me, and actually June too, of being involved in the failed coup of being associated with somebody that he describes as an enemy of the Turkish state. So it's a little odd to be referred to by the president of a country in that way. Um, it also makes me worried about my travel, whether a red notice has been placed uh, through Interpol. Um, it is what it is, and hopefully, hopefully if that happens and there's a problem, Donald Trump will totally defend me. <laughs> Got a few more. There's a lot of questions, man. Uh, Jared Kushner recently used attorney-client privilege. I think actually the, the, the questioner means Donald Trump Jr. Um, so I'll, I'll modify the question. Donald Trump Jr. recently used attorney-client privilege as a reason not to answer questions about emails with the president. Uh, is this valid, and can he be ordered to answer? Maya from Astoria. Thank you for putting a name to your question. 
so that's a great question. And you know, generally speaking, you got to answer such questions. I think from what I read in the news, Donald Trump Jr. has invoked attorney-client privilege. There is no privilege between a father and a son. There's like an edible thing between a father and a son. That's totally separate from the privilege. Um, I, I believe the argument, is that, so you have, you have preacher, penitent, you have uh, husband, wife, you have attorney, client, you don't have father, son. I think the argument, as I understand it, is that there were some conversations that he's not revealing the nature of because a, an attorney was present. Now, there are certain circumstances in which, yes, if there's literally a discussion of legal advice between and among people who share an interest and are um, you know, unified in a common potential defense, and there's an attorney there, that might be covered by attorney-client privilege. But as a, you can't just sort of plop an attorney into your con... And who wants to do that anyway, right? An attorney into like a dinner and order food and say that's privilege. So like, that'll work its way out. You know, it will work itself out with the special counsel. And there are ways to compel testimony and to have an argument before a court because Bob Mueller's team, as has been reported, has a, uh, a grand jury convened and there's a judge they can go to on these things. So it'll work its way out. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's my answer to that question. Next question. Uh, hey, Preet. Hey. This is from Justin from Brooklyn. Given the incredibly norm-breaking news out of the Trump administration today, why aren't you upset with the quality of the latest season of SNL? You know what? I'm a person, too. And I was sitting in my home, in, I, so I sent a tweet about this, and I'm watch, And all I want to do when I watch SNL is laugh. Lorne Michaels is a genius. They're all geniuses. They're all terrific. I've been watching the show for 120 years, and I'm watching a skit with James Franco that I did not understand. And I don't know if you understood it, and so I lashed out on Twitter, as is my God-given American right. I maybe should not have said that SNL sucks. Um, but we're gonna talk about comedy and the nature of comedy and the quality of comedy with our guests coming up in a couple of minutes. And maybe, maybe those guys should think about hiring Hassan Minaj, I don't know. Last, last question. Like, when is Minaj coming out? Hi, Preet. Hi. This question, it says at the bottom, asked by an Iranian American. How has the Trump presidency made you feel differently about being American? So that's a very profound question. Um, it hasn't made me feel different. I, I don't think how a president acts changes how we think about uh, America, how we think about American opportunity, how we think about the US Constitution, how we think about our neighbors, how we think about immigration, how we think about justice, how we think about fairness. It may cause you to redouble your thoughts and your actions in support of the things you believe in, but I appreciate the question, but it doesn't make me think differently at all. In fact, in some ways, as I said before, it's, it's a crazy time we're in. 
and some things cause despondency on the part of some folks, but also inspiration. I think that the way in which some people are responding to some of the terrible things and the terrible intolerance and sometimes racial violence and bigotry and anti-immigration sentiment that's going on makes me feel even better about being an American. So the way I think about it, uh, the president is who the president is. The president's going to be gone in three or seven years. But, but we'll all, but America will still be here and American values will still be here. And so it doesn't change anything about how I think about America. So I'm about to bring out our guest, which is the reason you're all here. Hassan Minhaj is, I think everyone knows, a rising star of uh, screen, stage, comedy, you name it. He, as you know, is a Daily Show correspondent. I think he was the... So John Stewart hired him and then immediately retired. And that could mean that he was upset with this decision. Or I think more likely, he thought, my job here is done. I've made this person's career. He has performed at all sorts of uh, high-value and high-profile events, including the White House Correspondents' Dinner. On the other side, we'll have a Minaj. Support for this episode of Stay Tuned comes from Mint Mobile. A huge monthly cell phone bill might feel inevitable. We've all gotten used to climbing rates, surprising surcharges, and expensive plans. And most of us shrug and assume that we're stuck, and there's no other option. So we just pay. But what if there was another option? An option that was much more affordable? Allow me to introduce you to Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. All Mint Mobile plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can make the switch and keep the phone and number you have right now, along with all of your existing contacts. You can get this new customer offer and a new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month by going to mintmobile.com slash preet. That's mintmobile.com slash preet. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash preet. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, our bottles might still look the same, but some of them can be remade in a whole new way. Using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles made using no new plastic except the caps and labels. You'll be seeing more of these new bottles in more places, and that's thanks to you. Because when we get more bottles back, we can use less new plastic. Learn how our bottles are made to be remade at madetoberemade.org. Ladies and gentlemen, Hassan Minhaj. Oh, man. Hi. Hey. How are you? Oh, man, how the mighty have fallen. (laughs) Why you gotta start like that? You know how great this is, man? You know... You are one of the most powerful attorneys in the country. 
and now you're doing podcasts like a lowly comedian. I mean, I just love this. <laughs> Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. I thought the big sick was excellent. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, you. Oh, man. You, you are my favorite Muslim American, Indian American comedic. That was you, right? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Master of no, None season I'm, two yeah. streaming now, you guys. <laughs> Just want to let you guys know. You couldn't get those guys. Right. Oh, you could. Okay, you couldn't that. get those guys. Okay. It was very fun to prepare. So ordinarily, when I have a podcast, uh-huh. I have get I have to like read their books. Right. They have scholarship. Um, <laughs> I got. I got to figure. Out. Oh, with me? No, this is, is a compliment. It's a compliment. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So all day today. And you're like, I just had to like go watch a couple of YouTube videos, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. All yeah, right. But yeah, they were, yeah, they, were they were, they were really, they were. I was in my home office, which is very unspectacular, uh-huh. and my wife was like, "Why do you keep laughing?" I'm like, "I'm working." Okay, okay. And I was, li- I was watching the White House Correspondents Dinner uh-huh. that you hosted, some of your clips from The Daily Show. Yeah. And you're un- I don't know if people have seen it. Um, your Netflix special. Very well named, very clever. Homecoming King. Yeah. I thought it was, it was funny, but also moving. Yeah. And I don't know that a lot of comedy does both things. It makes you laugh hysterically, but also a little bit, you know, get a, get a tear in your eye. I want to talk about some of the things that happen in your life that you talk about. You talk about your dad. Mm-hmm. You may have heard back. My dad is here. Yeah. I want you to make him feel bad. Okay. By, no, I'm joking, Dad. <laughs> so you had, a, you had a very tough Indian-American immigrant father. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you said in the show that makes me laugh every time I hear it, like my dad was like, you know, what's your favorite color? Stanford. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so describe a little bit what it was like to grow up in California with a really tough Indian American dad. Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, you are the prodigal son. You are the Simba to their Mufasa. You have to deliver the dream to Pride Rock. Um, so, you know, there's just, you know, the classic cardinal rules no fun, no friends, no girlfriends. You can have fun in med school. That's sort of the, the trifecta of what the golden rules are. It's like, on, it's like on the wall. You're like, I got it. No fun, no friends, no girlfriends. I got it. I know you didn't quite mean this, but you yeah. said, look, with Indian parents, it's like conditional love. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got, Which I think you is You got to get the A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents are right here, so I'm trying, <laughs> right, right. To, I'm trying to not make it, you know, No, but you know, you know what's great what do you is... Mean, what, do you mean, what, is, what do you mean conditional love? I think that you just have to check certain boxes. <laughs> you ever wonder, like, when you see... Biology. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever see, like, certain families when there's, like, five kids? It's like, a, like, it's like a Daisy family with, like, five... And I'm like, oh, right, like, there was a few mess-ups along the way. <laughs> It's kind of like it, when you watch a franchise and they don't, it doesn't work out the first time they draft, you know? Like the Knicks, right? They haven't had some good picks and they're like, all right, Porzingis, it worked out. So I think your younger brother was the Porzingis of your family. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's here too. Yeah. No, but you, let, be honest, you had the title for a long time. Yeah, I was good. Yeah. I became the United States Attorney. Yeah. For the frickin' Southern District of New York. Yeah. Subpoena Dude, you power. were on track to be not crazy or not racist Jeff Sessions. You were on track to be that. 
You on track? He was on track to do that. Sometimes, can I tell you a fun thing that I like to do? Please. I just like to go to like big firm holiday parties and then humble brag how I know you. So I'll just like walk into like a Skadden holiday party and be like, you guys know I know Preet Bharara, right? And they'll just, their pants, they have to like, change their pants immediately. Like, what? Huh? Billables? And I'm like, not, yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, I know Preet. I know not Preet. anymore. I now stuff. they're like, the podcasting guy? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what's crazy? This is true. You know, with all the crazy stuff that's going on right now, uh, I was able to set up the interview with Preet. People ask all the time, how'd you do it? I slid into the DMs. <laughs> it's true. You were my first, that was it. You were my first DM. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I saw him not. Because yeah. I... So you did the White House Correspondence Center yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I thought you were Kamel Nanjiani. Right. I was confused. <laughs> and I thought you were doing He's a great like, Kamel job. Kamel dropped his accent for this gig. <laughs> Pretty incredible. <laughs> you should do a... Are you going to do a rom-com? A rom- am I going to do a rom-com? Is that, is that what they call it? They call it? Yeah, but I like, I like what I'm doing right now. I like my job until... I mean, if, I, if I get fired, I'll also start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I be on yeah, it? Can yeah, I be yeah, on it? be like still get, tuned get, in with Hassan yeah. Minaj. I would, call it someone di- I would call it something different. Yeah. So one of the things you talk about... Yeah. I'm going to go back to my questions that I scribbled on a sheet of paper. Uh-huh. You talked about this issue that people have when they're concerned about what other people think. Right. And you, and you have this very poignant story. The white girl in your high school right. asked you to the prom. Right. And you, and you show up there, and there's another boy. Right. Who's not... South who, Asian. Who's not South Asian. Yeah, he's very Caucasian. <laughs> talk about that for a second. Yeah, I mean, I'm, one of the themes that I talk about in the show is just this idea of, like, what will other people think, and... Um, you know, in, in Hindi, we call it lokya kenge, right? What are people going to say or what are people going to think? I think that is one of the biggest pressures that a lot of our generation, we deal with growing up, where we feel that pressure from not only society, but our parents. Um, sometimes we're the victim of it, and sometimes we're the ones that perpetuate it. And that's something that I really wanted to explore in the special. That's bad. Yeah. When people say, because my, my recollection of the show is, there's this nice family from Nebraska, right. and you're not from Nebraska, yeah. and you look the way you look, and they said something like, you know, they're going to be a pictures. good fit. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be a good fit because we're going to send pictures back to our family. Yeah, yeah. And that's terrible. Look like, look gakenge. Right, right. What will people think? Yeah. That's racism right. of a sort. But are there some circumstances in which it's actually good to worry what other people will think? Because that set some standards. And, like, this president, for example, doesn't seem to give a shit. Yeah. Lokyak Yanga, he's like, he doesn't care I think, at all. Yeah, he doesn't care what anyone thinks. But so I, I wonder... <laughs> you know what it like, is? Is there something that's good about that? I think, that? I think that, look, if you have, you know, the audacity of a mediocre white dude, that's actually pretty amazing, just the sort of <laughs> unbridled confidence. I mean, sometimes, if you ever go to a nightclub and you see white people dancing, I'm like, I need to live like that. Just no rhythm, no... Air doing what they, I'm like, that's how you guys conquered the world. Just like, nah, nah, it's my world. And like, meanwhile, us people of color, right? Like, I gotta shave, I gotta dress right, like, I gotta be on the beat because the last thing I wanna do is, yeah. So I think if you can not be worried about what people think, but the thing that you have to couple it with is empathy. So if you can have sort of that Kanye, you can drink your Kanye juice in the morning, but also have empathy. I think that's a very, very uh, good combination. And I just, 
I hope that my kids, you know, hopefully have like that audacity of equality of like, yeah, I can be whatever I want to be and people are going to judge me based on my merits and I'm not going to accept being treated differently for anything else. How do you, how do you, so, good. Yeah. Yeah. You said a thing in the show that really struck me when you're talking about this incident at the prom, because these people were nice to you. Yes. You had been to their home. You had had dinner with them. Yes. You, as you say in the show, I don't want to reveal too much, you had kissed their daughter. Right. And you said... Well, now you gave away the whole thing. All right. (laughs) They're going to buy it anyway, man. (laughs) And you you said... (laughs) This is like... This is awesome. Okay, continue. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I feel like sometimes you, I'm crossing the line too much. I'm like, okay. No, it's okay. Look, I have no power anymore. So it's okay. <laughs> do whatever you want. But, but you said this. I, I think this is, uh, this, this is a painful thing you said. You said, I didn't, and I want you to talk about it. I didn't know people could be bigoted even as they're smiling at you. Yeah. What does that mean? And what does that mean for people who are trying to do something about bigotry? I think, so what's interesting... The thing that I, I wanted to talk about in the special is that I think a lot of times people, they think tolerance is enough. And I think when I, in the prom story, what I was trying to cross over is, is sort of like full-on acceptance and love. And so I think what happened there was just like, hey, I'm, I'm okay with you, but hey, not if you're trying to, not in my backyard. And that was that sort of like the prom is too far. Yeah, that's that's too much, you know. And so you can come and you can have like the Salisbury steak at our home. Yeah, that sort of uh, racial tension isn't isn't new in this country, right? I mean, it's like people be like, oh, I'm not I'm not like bigoted or I'm not racist, but hey, if so and so married your son or daughter, hey, all right, well, just easy. That to me, love and and sort of being willing to share, you know, family, I think is like. That's the true testament of, like, are you really colorblind in your acceptance of people? So how do you get people to change their views? I mean, do you think of comedy as a tool for that? Or is comedy just to make people laugh? You can't be preaching all the time, right? right. You're not, you don't do that. You're not a prosecutor and you're not a proselytizer. Yeah. You do, you do comedy. Right. How, and the reason I'm asking but there's, is because, there's because, ways, you know. Because you, you said a thing once. You said, yeah. you said, jokes for joke's sake are kind of meaningless to me. Right. I understand the value of them, but it doesn't speak to me as much. You can lace your argument with jokes, but tell me why you're presenting this argument. What does it mean? So how important is it to you as a, as a professional trying to make your way in, in, in your specials and on yeah. The Daily Show to have meaning in your comedy as opposed to just making people laugh. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that we, we talk about at, at The Daily Show, like, and this started from John's era, is it'll start in the 915 meeting, and it'll be, what's your take? So we're, we're all in like WhatsApp groups and text groups where people are exchanging news articles. Did you see this? Did you see that? Did, did you hear about this? And your take or your position on the matter is what, um, that's what makes our show what it is. But, but is a take... So I, I don't know a how to A take is an argument. An argument, so, but a, yeah, yeah. a point of view. A, point, a clear point of view. Right. So I'll give you an example. Like, this is a, this is a take that I did, like, uh, obviously the big election in Alabama, Roy Moore, right? right? And I was like, oh, man, this is, the, this is the take. The argument is like, God damn, like, the Republican Party really is the mafia. Like, if you give your loyalty and kiss the ring, come one, come all, racist, sexist, pedophile, they will protect you. 
right? They're like standing there. They're like, hold, hold, don't budge. Iceberg coming. It doesn't matter. So I was like, damn, ISIS should join the Republican Party. (laughs) And then Trump would be like, yeah, yeah, you know what? They're misunderstood. You know, ISIS, they're tough. They're tough on crime. And and so like that, but it's setting up the argument, right? And then like, then you can have all the sugar. So to me, the jokes, jokes are really easy. Jokes are super easy. They're the easiest part of the whole thing. Do you think less of people who have your, and you have a lot of talent, less of people who have your type of talent, like transformative, transcendent ability to speak to people through jokes, right? And through stories, which you do in your special. And comedy, do you think less of people who do that only to make people laugh? No, I I just... Um, And and, and in other words, given the time that we're in... Right, right, right. Does every comedian have to have a message and an argument or not? Yeah, I just think right now we're living in a time where cerebral is sexy. Like... Remember 10 years ago? Thank God. Yeah. Dude, like, it's, it's like, Jesus. pre. For 45 years. Yeah, I know. Pre, like, dude, you're popping. You understand? You could, you, could, you could be like, hey, I'm a professor at NYU, and people would be like, what? There was a time. I, do, do you not remember this 10 years ago? It was the era of the man baby. It was all, like, grown adults, yeah. like, in diapers, the hangovers, Zach You're Galifianakis, Will Ferrell. The age but, of the jock is yeah, dead. Yeah, but not the jock of just, like, now, like, every story was just like, I'm an oaf, and I'm, like, I'm 35 years old. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And then guy pulls a ridiculous, like, ridiculously attractive and um, really intelligent woman like Katherine Heigl, and then they'll be like, all right, you're a loser, but I guess I'll go for you. And it was like completely unrealistic. The Hangover was like that. Knocked Up was like that. It was these completely unrealistic plots. And now we're living in a time where reality is stranger than fiction. So like, we don't need wig comedy right now is what I'm saying. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if order's restored in the force and all that stuff, um, I think we'll get back to like slapstick stuff too. Every, but I think every comedian has their, their, their um, superpowers. Like, that's not my superpower. What's your superpower? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, you definitely I, know. I think, I th- you I want think, me to draw it out of you? No, I think, it, I think it's more <laughs> serious than it is silly. But like, I'm still silly at times. Like x-ray vision? Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like, um, my, my superpower is I can tell serious stories in, in sort of like a funny way versus like guys who can just like get like up Kumail. there. Like Kumail. Sure, like Kumail. <laughs> versus guys who like can do voices, impersonations. That's, I can't do that. But can't that's do voices? Crazy. I can't Is that going to hold you back? I don't know. <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I want you to succeed in Jesus, white America. Man. Like, no, man. I think I'll be okay. I, I think I'll be okay. Yeah? Dude, are you... Did you talk to my dad before this? Like, this is like... Like... Everything you're doing is he's just like... He's very you know, proud of you. Yeah, he's like, hey, man, you know this could all go away, right? Like, I mean, you better learn how to do impersonations. I know it can happen. <laughs> I can. That's great. Anything is possible. Here I am, like sitting on a, like a magic carpet, with you. I can show you and this all world. All I have great. is like this mug, this stay tuned mug. You talked about something in your show, and it has some resonance today. Yeah. You said, you know, growing up Muslim American, the hyphenation. Yeah. In Davis, California, very far from. Ground Zero, yeah. but you were a sophomore in college when 9-11 happened, yeah. and you said in the show, and I, I, I'm, I'm assuming this is true, that after that, 
you had to be worried about, about backlash. Uh-huh. And your father said something like, don't tell anyone you're Muslim. Right. Right, right. And some people did some nasty things to your family and to your house. So today we had a terrible event right. here. And I've heard from a lot of people that I know who are Muslim and not Muslim and from various parts of the world. When you hear the first bit of news that a bomb has gone off or there's a shooter, an yeah. active an operational terrorist somewhere, as we used to call it. Right. And you, and you hope and pray, Yeah. I hope it's not yeah. a Muslim. Yeah. And I hope it's not someone from my part of the world. How did you feel about today? How do you react to the events of today? As Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the, the toughest part about all of it is the collective guilt, right? Is that so something happens and you have to hold your breath because not because you had anything to do with this action, it's this, the blame by association thing that other people that I work with or that I communicate with in the community or in the city don't have to deal with, with say like a Stephen Paddock or a Dylan Roof or a Jared Lofner, right? And- I mean, um, you kind of, are you kind of saying to yourself, God, I hope it's a white person? Yeah, as sad as that is, but I mean, cause it's still, it's still an awful thing. It's just one of those things where it's like, um, oh man, like, I, I hope it's not because I don't want to sort of live with this blame, but also the sort of, a lot of the repercussions of it are just hate crimes, you know, to other people that may or may not be Muslim, just they have melanin, and like, that's, that's awful too. But beyond just like the selfish feeling of like, oh, I don't want it to affect my friends and family, I just think um, the biggest thing I try to figure out is like, how do I beat this really, really ugly notion, at least the, the rules of the game in America are the idea of like collective guilt. Like if you're from a minority group, you get lumped into that one bad thing that your community is sort of known for, and how do you beat that? Sometimes it feel, I feel helpless, I can't, I can't win that game. Like I feel like I could be like saving a kitten from like a burning tree, and like I could like bring, be bringing the kitten down, and someone would be like, did you hear about what happened at Port Authority? I'd be like, oh fuck, I'm trying to, <laughs> like I feel like I'm trying to beat this game, but it doesn't, you know, it's just what it feels like. Do you th- so how do you think, either through your work or otherwise, you educate people about difference yeah. and diversity yeah. so that people are not jumping to that conclusion sure. every time something bad happens? My biggest, you know, I consider myself to be an angry optimist. Yeah. So I'm not happy with the way things are, you know, Mandarin Mussolini's running the country. But <laughs> I'm optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm like, I'm optimistic about the incredible potential that America has. But what are you angry about? So let's, let's take both those separately. What are you most angry about? No, I'm just, I'm angry at like the state of a lot of things. Like the election showed was, it, to me, it reflected like, oh, there is a large enough contingency in this country that believes in some of these sexist, racist, homophobic, xenophobic things. And to me, all the other things he was promising they were willing to take that deal to get coal jobs back, right? You know what I mean? Like, that to me fundamentally was really, really painful and hard to deal with. Um, my hope is this. I remember being, this is around 08 when Obama was running for office, right? And remember when he was on the campaign trail, someone yelled out during, I think to one of his opponents was like, he's a Muslim. And then John McCain, John McCain was like, no, 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 no he's a good person. And my... My dream is I w- I'm fighting for a day that someone says, yes, yeah, so what? So what? Yeah. And that, to me, we're not there I want to clap yet. for that. Yeah, we're not there yet. 
So that's, that's, that's what I, I'm fighting for. Do you think that I should have done more to investigate the spelling bee? <laughs> oh, that you, okay. Because you talked about it in your show also, and yeah, I was yeah. watching, I'm thinking, so every, do people know that only Indians are permitted to win the scripts Dude, nah, man. spelling like, bee? I once like, tweeted, like, made the best Indian win. Yeah. That's like, it's like one, dude, one, two, that's three. Our thing, no dominance, six, six in a row. We are like the bulls. We're What's like up the with patriots like, so, of spelling? We're just like straight. I up. have, I have. So I don't like that stereotype. So talking about like you know, because it's because it's ridiculous. So my kids sometimes that we're smart. I, I just don't like. I don't like to be so associated with a particular thing. Like memorization yeah, yeah. of how to spell but like I think canadal. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was a re- I know you yeah, put yeah, right yeah. But there was a remix to it. Like this year, the There's kid, a remix to it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what I mean by that. Oh, God. Okay. I'm very old. <laughs> what I mean by that is that. You gotta is, explain. Is, is, My is dad the, is here. Okay. So think about it like a strain of marijuana, Preet. They're adding new. <laughs> there's new elements to it. Here's what it is. So. Like, 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, man, model minority myth. Like, but to me, what was cool this year is that the kids who won, there was, like, two kids who won, and one of the kids uh, not only spelled his stuff right, but then, like, also dabbed and taunted his opponents. And so there was, like, yeah, I'm smart as fuck, and I'm an alpha. Deal with it, Chad. And I, like, that to me, that's new brown America. Okay. Like, that's the new wave. And... And to me, just like, yo, like, deal with it. We're here. You can't, you can't. I got to get, I got to get more. So I actually sometimes tell my three children to occasionally misspell stuff. Oh, come on. No, 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 Just so they're not pigeonholed. (laughs) Nah, man. Nah, man. Cerebral is sexy, man. Just like, yeah, yeah. You did the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Yeah. And no, yeah, it was great. How'd you, how'd you, how'd you feel about that? Would the president? Would you have preferred the president to be there? Yeah, man. Would you, of would you have changed your comedy if he had been there? Well, yeah. I mean, everything would have been like he's not here, and then it would have just been like he is here, and I would have done the same jokes. <laughs> and he, he, like people were like, "Would you have been scared?" I'm like, "Nah, he wouldn't have gotten it. It would have been too fast for him." <laughs> like, you know, it was, you saw when Seth uh, roasted him in 2011. He was just like sitting there, like, <laughs> like it was just like but, talking but, but do you to believe, do you cement. Believe the view. Orange cement. He was just like, yeah. But do you believe the view that some people have, um, this, this story that some people have spun, that in part it was the humiliation he felt at an earlier White House correspondence dinner that caused him that to decide to run? Sure, but like... In which case we should shut that thing down. No, like, like to me that's like, really? Like, okay, sure. Out of a, out of a correspondence dinner set of 30 minutes... Three minutes of jokes are pointed at you, and then it's pointed at CNN and MSNBC and the president. Everybody else takes it. Like, you're just a baby. You can't take a joke. Like, Correct. That's my problem. That's, like, my fundamental right. problem. Everybody else. Dude, I, the cool tradition of the dinner, and this is why I, I was fundamentally bothered by it so much, is that every president has attended that event, minus Ronald Reagan, and he didn't attend one year because he was recovering from a gunshot wound. And even then, he phoned in. He came in via video to be like, hey, I respect the free press and all of that stuff. And it's one of the great American institutions where a comedian, irrespective of their background, can stand on the stage 
and make fun of arguably the most powerful people in the world and show that no one is beyond the reach of the First Amendment. That is a, such a cool American thing that a lot of other democracies on paper don't allow, you know? And so that, to me, really, really bothered me. He's, he's a person who abuses that right every day, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> then, yeah, like, be a good sport and show up and be a part of it. And every, every comedian who's been a part of that tradition has been cutting but not cruel. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, come play ball. Like, this is, like, a, an amazing tradition that we can show the rest of the world. But he obviously doesn't care about those things. So you're angry. You say you're an angry optimist. Yeah. And I've heard you're, everyone has a boss, Trevor yeah. Noah. Is he your boss? I guess he's your yeah, boss. Yeah, he's my boss. Yeah, yeah. So I heard Trevor Noah at an event talk about this, um, this issue of there's so much stuff yeah. that you have to process with Donald Trump. We talked right. about it backstage for a minute. Yeah, yeah. That you can't be equally outraged at all of it. <clears throat> You've got to figure out the things that really matter and what you're going to oppose or not oppose. And, and different things are funny or not funny. But, but how, do you, how do you manage the anger? And how do you decide what things motivate you to do more yeah. or not? Like, so for example, <clears throat> I once gave, once sent out a tweet after Donald Trump said something like, was, was found to be saying something like, the White House is a dump. And a lot of people are outraged by that. And I wrote, you know, on the list of things to be outraged and upset about, it's not in the top 50. And people tweeted back to me, I'm able to multitask in my outrage. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's all part of the same thing. And I get that. Yeah. But if you live in America now, and all sorts of assaults, I think, are happening on the first Yeah, Amendment, but I don't think I'm, those people saying that like, are married, because you've got to pick and choose your battles when you you're got married. To, right, so how do you pick and... <laughs> Too real? Okay. So how do you... <laughs> come on, man. Like, come on. We're grown. Like, you've got to pick your hills to die on. So, so what my hills, thing is... So what is hills that, do you pick? So, so tell these yeah, people... Well, what. Are, if you care about the country and you care about what's happening and you're upset about what's happening and you're an angry optimist like you are, yeah. what do you focus on and what do you let slide? Like my thing is this. is like I'll, I'll give you a prime example. Like uh, uh, The New York Times, they had mistweeted an uh, image when he went to go visit the, the New England Patriots. And they, they posted this photo that they were like, oh, none, you know, none of the players attended. And it, it basically presented itself to show that uh, a lot of the staff had boycotted. Um, when in reality, they were some of those staff members were sitting in the audience. And it gave him am- ammunition. And to me, I'm like, why take that L? Like, it's, it's Agent Orange. There's so much to make fun of him for. Legitimately, why misrepresent that? Now, that doesn't exclude the fact that, like, hey, that the other side of the aisle lies all the time and there's no recourse for it. I'm just saying we have to sometimes pick and choose our outrage beyond Kofifi. And, <laughs> right? Like that was pretty funny, though. It was funny, was funny, yeah. But, like, a big thing that I try to figure out is, like, see beyond just the tweet chasing. Like, yeah, I'm seeing what's happening, but I try to talk to people that are a lot smarter than me that, have, that know this stuff better to be like, yeah, why is this happening and, and what is the context and what are the things that I should be thinking about as an informed but, but, so, but how do you think about the issues that you will speak out about outside of comedy? So you wrote a, a letter, right. an open letter, yeah. with Reza Aslan yeah. um, about gay marriage. Correct. How did you pick, how did you decide to do that? How do you decide what to speak about, what not to, and what's important to you? So that was something I could speak from, from personal experience. Like for me, 
I was like, I, I you know, publicly, I, I endorse this, I'm so proud of this amazing SCOTUS decision, because to me, uh, marriage equality is a fundamental civil liberties issue, and civil liberties are an all or nothing game. You know what I mean? So, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. So the same thing, the same freedoms and rights that, that you know, I am privy to, that I'm allowed to have, that allow me to go to Jumma Prayer on Friday with safety are the same safeties that the LGBTQ community should have when they get married. Like, their rights should be honored just as well. It's irrelevant whether you or they think that it should or should not happen, right? And so, to me, it's an all-or-nothing game. Either you buy in for fairness and equality for everybody, or it's a sham. So my letter that I wrote with Reza was like, hey, this is what I just want to say to my community, and I want to say this is a public figure in my community that, like, I got your back and I endorse you on this issue and I support you. Um, that was it. But can I ask... I'm going to ask this delicately. What is your view of what Islam says about that issue? Yeah, to me, like, I treat religion like biryani. I push the good stuff towards me, and I push the weird <laughs> shit to the side. That's it. That's the way I, I treat it. Like, I just... Yeah, it's an issues-by-issues issues thing. You know what well, I mean? But, like, but, did, but did you get... Did you get did you get, yeah, like, come did you get, on, man. Did you get like, blowback so, from family or others? Yeah, sure, but I'm just like... What did you say? What did you say? Update software. That's all I'm saying. Like, on that issue... <laughs> Go to iTunes, update the software. That's all I'm saying. Like, to me, these are more, like, all of it, you know, uh, you know, and my family's mixed. Like, you know, my, my, my wife's family, she comes from a Hindu family. Like, so, like, to me, all of this stuff, these are allegories on how to, like, live a righteous, good life. So, to me, like, that's, that's sometimes the, the, the issue that I have with, say, um, uh, extreme right-wing Christians, what they have in regard to Syrian refugees, where I'm like, oh, keep them out of the country. And I'm like, that's not very Christ-like, right? So, like, to me, anytime I see, like, an injustice within my group or any other group, like, I'm like, hey, that's not what the whole point of going to Sunday school and going to Mass is about. So I, I try to take the good stuff, and I, I, I leave the bad stuff to the side. How patriotic are you? What is patriotism to you? Because uh, a lot of people are trying to tell us how we're supposed to love America, and yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. As an immigrant, what do you think is special about America? I think, I mean, we're grappling with uh, what it means to be patriotic. I will say in terms of branding, like the GOP has patriotism on lock. Like they're like, patriotism is the Dallas Cowboys. It's Jesus. It's standing for the national anthem. It's guns. Like they have it like Coca-Cola and Nike. Like they have the branding of it down. And then like the left, we're just like all over the place. We're like, like watching like a college improv group. We're like, what the fuck is happening in this scene? What is going on? It's like a bunch of like, I don't know what is happening. Wait, at so least, what are we supposed to be? So what is, what are I don't know, but like, have you been like, throw out a suggestion. It's just like, every, it's like Bernie, Antifa, like Barack, Cory Booker. It's just like pre, like it's like, oh, what is, what is happening in the scene? Like, what's going on? Someone sweep the scene. We gotta like get, get order. But I'm giving you a ch- I'm giving you a chance to write the playbook. Though. I don't. I'm not saying, dude. Come I'm, on. You dude, wore a tie. I know, but I'm not. Last question. Yeah. Then we're gonna wrap up. Yeah. How do you define the American dream? Have you lived it? Yeah. I think I think there have been moments. I think to me, the American dream is just being unapologetically yourself and succeeding at that. It's pretty good. Yeah. Don't go. Okay. okay. Stick around while I end the show. But okay. ladies and gentlemen, rising star, not rising, risen, 
and further rising, Hassan Minhaj. Thanks, you guys. Don't, for the record, this is your first live podcast, right? Yeah, man. He should do this more often, right? <laughs> I thought... You haven't seen the end yet. I'm about to... I'm about to this is the kicker. Uh, so if you listen to the podcast, and I assume at least a few of you do, towards the end of the podcast, I end with a story about news that struck me in a certain way. It was important to me personally. Uh, and it's actually the part of the show that I care about in some ways the most. And I never want it to be something that someone handed to me. It's got to be something that I actually was touched by. And sometimes it's about race, and sometimes it's about um, people going outside the partisan divide. And it's all sorts of different things. So this week, since we have a live show, and given the particular audience I have, the most important news in my uh, life is that my mom and two things. My mom and dad, uh, last since my last show, last Friday, celebrated their one millionth wedding anniversary. And the second thing is that uh, my mom has a birthday that's not quite today, but it's on Wednesday, because I'm a terrible son and didn't plan properly. I will be on business in San Francisco on Wednesday. My mom's birthday is on Wednesday, and uh, I'm not gonna say how old she is, but it's a milestone. I'm gonna say 50. And I just want to say, so I appreciate all the support of the crowd and my amazing guest tonight um, and the people who wrote questions, but the person, my mom and my dad both, who have been the most supportive of anyone you could imagine in the world. Uh, and every Thursday in my new endeavor, I wait to hear from my mom and to get the text from her. And because she's my mom, it's always positive, but there are gradations of positive. So I can tell when she really loves it and when she doesn't. <laughs> she mostly likes it. Um, I thought about reading al aloud the text to you, but I think that's covered by the parent-child privilege that Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> has established. But they're really funny. And I just wanted to say thanks, Mom, and thanks, Dad. And I thought, since I'm not gonna be here on Wednesday to do this, and since we have like 900 people here. Yes. Mom, where are you? Okay. She's usually not shy. Just stand up for a second. No, so, no, so stay, stay standing. And, and we will, and we will, and we'll lead the group in a very, and then we'll say goodbye in happy birthday. All right, so on the count of three, will you join us? Oh, yeah. How's your singing voice? Uh, I'm going to do it away from the mic, but I'll just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? All right, one. It's mom. Come on, mom. 
Have some her respect. Her name is Are you Mom. Serious? I don't even know what her it's name is. It's either Mom or Auntie. What are you? Are you crazy? That look you gave her was like, was like what the hell are you what? talking? What's your what's her name? It's Janet. So <laughs> Janet. <laughs> it's Mom. Everyone go with Mom. Take your okay? shoes off and call her Mom. Are you crazy? <laughs> are we ready? Yeah, let's do it. One. And don't sing it the Indian way, okay? <laughs> Let's try to do it like on tune. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear mom. All right, we're done. Oh, man. Thanks, everybody. Thanks Thank to Skirball for hosting us. Bye, Thanks you guys. to Thanks, everybody. Well, that's it for this episode of Stay Tuned. If you like the show, rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts. Send me your questions about news and politics. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara. Or even better, give me a call at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and WNYC Studios. Don't forget to check out cafe.com slash stay tuned for transcripts of all of these interviews. The show is produced by the team at Pineapple Street Media, Chris Berube, Henry Malofsky, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Joel Lovell, and Max Linsky. Our music is by Andrew Dost. And special thanks to Julia Doyle, Jeff Eisenman, and Jake McAbee. I'm Preet Bharara. Stay tuned.